Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I am here alone this evening. Um, our, our, our friend and co-host, Grant, was um, feeling a little under the weather, had a little bit of that um, early early summer or, or early spring um funk and uh just didn't didn't want to parade him out here on the microphone and uh make him uh <laughs> you know make him get out here so uh just me writing a solo tonight um here on a great day i've been painting my house the um person who lived in my house before me the previous owner had um shall i say eclectic tastes and we have painted four turquoise walls uh, three of them were one shade of turquoise and another was a different shade of turquoise. We've painted all of those kind of a neutral gray and a very aggressive burnt orange wall that was right kind of at the um, outset, like right at the very front of the house, right when you open the door. We've we've neutralized that burnt orange threat and painted that a, a pretty neutral gray as well. So I'm uh, probably a little high on paint fumes, been painting for about four days and uh, gearing up to... Um, move all my stuff in a storage unit, uh, from a storage unit up, uh, to, to our, our new house and kind of settle in. So been a lot of fun, been really hectic. Um, I am here tonight because I think that, uh, one, we want to regularly podcast and two, I've, I've done a little work on returning production and kind of, uh, dove into it. And I feel like this, is, this episode will be like a, a, almost like a long form Twitter thread, something that I would have just tweeted out, but want to kind of extrapolate on and, and um, get into. So uh, before I get into that returning production discussion, I think um, maybe one or two things I'll touch on. Uh, it, it is a little bit of the quiet period of college football. You know, we're talking about NIL and coaches are arguing with each other. And um, so, so none of that is super interesting to me, except in a passing sense. But I think that um, generally uh, what we can focus on right now is more a – the season's coming up, right? And, and we're looking um, looking ahead and we're talking about, okay, transfer portal, what's happening here? Um, all, all, all that kind of he said, she said stuff is, is uh, a, little bit, a little bit boring to me between the Jimbo and the Nick Saban. They all know what they're saying. They all know – who they're saying it for, and it doesn't really matter. And they're going to golf together at the meetings this uh, this summer anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, I am doing a bunch of college baseball stuff right now. TCU beat Baylor today um, after starting out slow um, and doing some doing some simulations and some numbers for the college baseball World Series. So be on the lookout for those. Those are pretty fun. Uh, first time I've really done like official numbers for those and gotten things in order. So still have a lot to learn, but it is fun to, you know, code out the simulations of the scores and the tournaments and figure out how teams stack up against each other. Looking to see how TCU will um, fare. I think they should host a, a, a super regional um, and that would be pretty cool for Kirk Sarlos's first year. That's about all the thoughts I have on on baseball um, that I'll do here. The other thing that I think is of note is TCU got a commitment from Bubba. I am refusing to learn any other information about this man except his name is Bubba, and he weighed in at 4.05 at a recent camp. There is a viral video of him out on um, Instagram and Twitter and what have you playing offensive line where he just absolutely destroys another young man. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he is a very raw talent, very big, very physical, but obviously has a lot to learn and, uh, excited for TCU to kind of recruit some big honking, uh, 
offensive linemen. You can you can never have enough of those guys, in my opinion, um, generally. So, all right, let's um, let's turn. Let me. I'm gonna open it. I'm gonna open a beer. I hope that's okay. If you're listening to this, uh, well, not if you're like driving to work or driving home from work, but maybe you can open a beer too, and we can talk about returning production. So, returning production is something that I kind of outsource to. Uh, one of the godfathers of college football uh, statistics and analytics, Bill Conley. Bill does a lot of work and goes and tracks down um, uh, information on uh, pages uh, that the teams put out and their spring rosters and everything and tracks the transfer portal and tries to get a good idea of kind of who's coming back and uh, specifically relating to who is on the field. Um one way that's particularly hard to deal with is uh, offensive linemen and the snaps and starts that they do. He has to go look at participation reports. That's a lot of work that I'm glad that someone else does and I don't have to do. And generally, it's a good way to um, <clears throat> kind of understand a team's situation. With the transfer portal, it gets a little bit weird because you're kind of able to import on-field production that you didn't necessarily have. And... Um, Obviously, I think there are some some shortcomings there with saying this player was, you know, this this productive in one system, so automatically he's going to be uh, this productive in another system. I think that's a little bit um, troublesome. But again, it's it's a generally good measure and a good way to understand a couple of things. Um, one, I think, for elite teams, returning production allows you to kind of understand who is vulnerable. So. It, it, it can kind of highlight if an Alabama, an Ohio State, um, uh, a Georgia now, um, a Clemson, if if there's an issue that kind of stands out for them that might draw your attention to why they wouldn't be a national uh, championship contender, right? So something you can kind of early circle and say, I don't know, man, I don't know if these people are, maybe they have a weakness. Um, another way that it's really useful is for kind of the rest of college football, um, the, 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 the large center of college football, to say who's going to distinguish themselves because they're at the top of their development cycle. And by development cycle, of course, I mean, you know, you have a critical mass of important positions that are certain ages. And a lot of people do really well in college football in kind of a three to four year cycle of Hey, we're going to be, you know, growing pains for a couple of years, and then that third or fourth year, we should have uh, one to two years of, of pretty pretty good competition. I think the best example of this is Pat Fitzgerald. Who, side note, fun fact: Pat Fitzgerald was 31 when he coached his first football game at Northwestern. 31. Um, if that doesn't make you feel um, insecure about what you've done with your life, man, that's <laughs> it. Definitely made me feel insecure with my <laughs> about what I was doing with my life. But Pat Fitzgerald does a really good job of developing a team, and so they're going to be bad like two out of three years. But that third year, like we saw in 2020, for instance, and, and a couple times before that, they have really clicked. And um, so football is, especially for college teams, is a developmental process. And so returning production helps us identify which teams are going to be off cycle and which teams are going to be on cycle, which which should give us an idea about success. The, the, the final, not the final, just a third thing that returning production can do is returning production can uh, identify and highlight uh, guys who are in bad situations and whether um, we can expect those to get better or worse. Uh, so kind of think of like year zero coaches or, or guys really on the margin. Um, if there was going to be a meaningful step forward, it would involve a lot of continuity. 
Um, and, and, and so I think returning production is really useful for that as well. So we'll get into this. We'll look at this. I'm going to keep this really big 12 centric because I think that is a really easy way to kind of compare apples to apples, um, or oranges to oranges or bananas to bananas, whatever, whatever you prefer. And, um, it's going to be a way to just kind of get a better sense of, of the landscape of the big 12. There's been a lot of change this season and uh, this off season. And so we'll look at um, kind of the returning production for 2022 and, and I'll, I'll talk through and narrate some of those. I, I I've talked at length about the quarterbacks, so I'm going to kind of stay away from the quarterbacks and, and kind of talk around this as best I can. Um, and then I'm going to look at uh, a little toy model that I built to kind of look at uh, next year's, team quality next year's um, team team standings and some some nerdy data stuff. So uh, let me see where I'm at. I'm about about nine minutes. I'd, I'd be surprised if I hit, hit a half hour here, but who knows? I, I start talking and I get going. Um, and so we'll see what happens. But thanks for thanks for being along for the ride um, regardless. All right. So looking at returning production for 2021, we need to define what is returning production. Um and if we look at uh, Bill, Bill Conley's returning production, he, he does a pretty good job of explaining this um, out. So um, he, he's looking beyond returning starters and kind of saying, I, I, I want to know more about like what someone did on the field. So it's a really good idea. Um, the, the, big, uh, the big ideal here is he's kind of looking at um, year to year S&P plus or SP plus, I guess is what he's calling it now. Um, SP plus ratings, which is just success plus uh, points per play. And he's trying to say, how do I how do I make this more stable or more smooth year to year? Right. So if you look at, you know, on the X axis of a graphic, um, Grant would be laughing at me right now about how uh, podcast or a visual medium. But I'm about to I'm about to explain a graphic on <laughs> on the podcast. But if you look at the X axis, the, the horizontal axis. Um, if that was, you know, SP plus last year and Y was SP plus, the vertical axis was SP plus this year, um, there, there'd be a slightly positive correlation, but it would be pretty random. And, 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 and what you kind of see there is, hey, you know, year to year performance is pretty volatile in college football. I think there, there, there's probably a couple factors that matter there. One, coaching continuity is, is huge. Two, uh, player continuity is huge. Three, schedule continuity is huge. And so Bill doesn't really address the coaching continuity, although one could argue that it's endogenous. It's, it's wrapped up with um, kind of performance year over year. But he does address the player continuity and SP plus is opponent adjusted. And so he addresses the schedule um, aspect of that at well. And so what he can do is reduce some of the volatility and kind of year to year SP plus by predicting these outside factors as well. So, um, he, you know, he, 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 these numbers have probably changed, but for offense, receiving yards is correlated. Um, the correlation coefficient for receiving yards uh, to SP ratings next year is, is 0.32. For passing yards, it's 0.231. For rushing yards, 0.126. Offensive line starts, 0.09. Um, which basically, I mean, continuity in the passing game is super important. Uh, if you look at defensive stats and changes in defensive S&P Plus, um, you know, uh, pass defense. So looking at your secondary correlation to defensive SP plus the next year is 0.406. Overall tackles, just just how many tackles are you bringing back is 0.369. Um, and, and, and a correlation coefficient of 0.369 suggests that um, 
that, you know, you turn that to R squared, you just square it. It says that almost 14% of the variation in year-to-year SP plus on the defensive side of the ball can be explained by um, by just how many tackles you return, right? Not like defensive tackles. I'm saying how what, what percent of your team's total tackles from one year to the next do you bring back? So you look at that with overall passes, passes defensed, and you think, man, I can explain almost 30% of the variation in year-to-year performance based on how much pass defense are you bringing back and then overall tackles. Defensive back passes defensed is 0.36. Defensive back tackles is 0.35. Overall tackles for loss is 0.29. Correlation coefficient, um, I know you're here for me reading numbers, so I'll keep I'll keep doing it. But defensive uh, or, or linebackers tackle correlation is 0.17. Defensive line sacks is 0.17. So um, I generally, uh, what Bill weights these numbers and is kind of looking at continuity in the passing game because that's really the most important aspect of success in college football. And so I'm really interested in returning production because it does mirror reality in this kind of continuity in the passing game sense. And um, obviously, you know, if you followed me, my model really focuses on early downs passing. How well can you move the ball? Can you kind of um, when, when things are open, how well are you you able to move the ball? And it seems like returning production kind of meshes with uh, what you can do year to year to to move the ball there. So um, before we start looking at returning production for the Big 12, let's just ask a couple questions. Um, how correlated is returning production to your conference win percentage for the Big 12? That's the first question I started to ask, right? So what I want to know is, your returning production for a season, how well does that kind of predict or correlate to how how many games you're going to win in the Big 12? So I just did a simple correlation between returning production and your win percentage, and um, it uh, it wasn't very high. So for returning production for just overall was about 0.13 correlation coefficient, um, which is going to be less than 10% uh, R-squared. For offense, it was uh, 0.09, and for defense, it was 0.15. So defense was slightly higher. Continuity on defense, bringing back defensive starters, was a little bit, um, a little bit more important. Um, I think I can come up with a, a couple stories for why that's the case. Uh, that might be that um, offensive playmakers and novelty is really rewarded in the Big 12. Um, it might be that. Um, the Big 12 has for a while had some defensive-minded coaches that have done really well by kind of developing and building up guys. Um, but this is, um, you know, just just looking at the sample from 2017 to 2021, uh, kind of a, a recent era of college football. Th- those are those correlation coefficients. And so I did just a little model that, that looked at returning production and standings and actually found that from year to year, um, the the returning production is is actually not significant. So um, the the estimate was 0.26, suggesting that uh, 10%, 10 percentage points of increased returning production is associated with a 26 percentage point increase in your win probability, but it's not significant at any level that would matter to anyone. Um, and so we find that year-to-year production is noisy with, with, wins, uh, with wins. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind that it is correlated year to year, but in terms of kind of on-field performance, there's still so many other random things that go into a college football game. We um, 
we, we can't we can't just take these at their face. So I'll build that model up a little bit and get us something useful. Let's go ahead and look at returning production for um, for this year. So looking at uh, 2022, I'm pulling that data up right now. Uh, you can hear me clicking because I've written like uh, 200 lines of code for this and it's all disorganized and it's all over the place, but life happens. Um, let's say filter year equals and we'll arrange great audio there. Okay, so looking at uh, overall returning production for 2022, um, I, I would say that there's kind of um, maybe three, maybe four tiers here, depending on how you wanted to break out your tiers. So for overall production, there's a very clear tier one. And that is um, TCU and Kansas are both bringing back 82% of their total production, um, including what they've brought in via, via transfers as well. So um, Kansas is uh, a little bit more defensive heavy, bringing back 0.89% of their defense. And uh, TCU is a little bit more um, balanced. They're actually bringing back 82% of the defense and weirdly enough, 82% uh, of the offense there overall. So um, that I think is is really important to look at kind of that balance, knowing that defense is a little more important. Obviously you want continuity where you can get it. Um, Kansas had some 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 receivers transfer out, but they bring back uh, Devin Neal. They're, they're really, really good running back who was really productive when they were kind of going, rolling last year. They have some continuity in the offensive line, but I think on the defensive side of the ball, that's what's really important um, for Kansas. They're going to have almost, you know, almost 90% of their defense back this year. The second, um, the second tier is kind of Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas Tech. Well, let me say, Kansas and TCU are both bringing back their starting quarterbacks, um, and then their their most productive offensive player outside of that. So even though TCU lost Zach Evans, if you go back and look at team totals, Zach Evans didn't really. Uh, it's not that he wasn't good; he just didn't have a lot of attempts, right? Like he he sat a lot, um, and so that that I think is um, important to note. That like yes, TCU got worse because they got rid of Zach, not got rid of Zach, Zach Evans transferred. But it wasn't like TCU didn't have anyone else behind him. The, the those carries went, you know, they were they were split as well. Um, and so, you know, bringing back Quentin Johnston is really important for their um, really important for their continuity as well. We're, Grant and I are going to go into the team previews starting next week with Kansas. So I'm going to try. I'm I'm trying to not go deep into players and more kind of units generally. So TCU and Kansas both bring back their quarterback. Both bring back. Um, their, their most productive offensive um, rusher uh, or offensive um, player outside of that. Uh, the, the next tier is uh, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Texas. Uh, three teams who are going to have uh, probably a different quarterback play most of their games than did last year. Three teams who have had a lot of turnover, um, but still have continuity. The difference, I think, between those three is that obviously Texas and Oklahoma's recruiting rankings are so much higher. So of course, continuity matters more when you have really good players. Um, and the way that both of them have used the transfer portal kind of distinguish them. But um, Texas has uh, 0.68, so 68% of their total, and um, uh, leans a little heavier defensively, which is good because their defense uh, struggled a little bit last year. If you look at cfb-graphs.com, 
and you go to a little search bar and you can say Texas and we can see that Texas's offense, <clears throat> excuse me, Texas's offense ranked 41st in EPA per play, but its defense rated 83rd. So um, sure, there was some inconsistency on the uh, offensive side of the ball, but the defense really got burned, especially, I mean, against the rush, 85th and then 79th against the pass. Really bad numbers from Texas's defense. So continuity there probably means maturity. Um, if you're a Texas fan, that's probably um, what you're telling yourself. Um, and, and so Texas, 74% of defense, 63% of offense. Oklahoma is bringing back a lot more defense, which might be a bad thing. I don't know. They were 127th in passing defense last year in, in terms of EPA per pass. Really, really bad. Um, their offense is only uh, 0.57. They did lose a lot between, I mean, obviously they lost one. Okay, this number is deceptive. I think I've just decided this number is a little deceptive because they lost Caleb Williams, and Spencer Rattler. So that's 100% of their quarterback production. And they brought in Dylan Gabriel, who got hurt literally like in the first game of 2021 and had no production last year. So that is a little bit misleading to have Oklahoma down there. I think Oklahoma is probably closer to tier one in terms of returning production if you explicitly account for Gabriel. Let's look at um, let's look at Dylan Gabriel's 2020 stats. Uh Statso Googling things while I'm on air. So in 2020, uh, Gabriel, 413 attempts, 3,500 yards, 8.6 average yards per attempt, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, 60% completion. So I think if you plug that in, that number in, that that Oklahoma returning production number of uh, 0.57 on offense is probably uh, closer to 70 which would put them kind of in tier one. Their defense is 82nd there. So that's a little misleading. Texas Tech, a lot of turnover. Um, they, they've done decently in the portal. Their offensive line loses a, a, a big hole, which is why they're 54th uh, in, in Dawson Deaton. Um, that's why they're 54th overall. Or excuse me, that was a lie. Why they're um, 54% of their offense is coming back. And then only 65% of a defense that, I mean, uh, wasn't excellent. So looking at Texas Tech, their offense was pretty balanced, 48th in rushing, 51st in passing. They actually have a trio of running backs that are really, really good, and I think they return all three of them. Um, so they lose, uh, obviously, Eric Izukama um, on the outside, and um, they will uh, lose Henry Columbi, who transferred out because he was not an FBS quarterback. Uh, but 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 generally, they, they return um, their their three really good running backs, but on defense, 109th EPA per play, 122nd against the pass, 86th against the rush. So um, not not really great there. Continuity, I don't know. Like I, I, it, No one's ever been able to play defense at Texas Tech, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they, they do that. So that's, so tier one, Kansas, TCU. Tier two is Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Texas. Um, tier three, I, I, I might call this tier three and a half because we're going to drop into the 50s, but Texas Tech is at 60% overall and Baylor is at 58% overall. And again, talking about deceptive numbers, Baylor's offense is only at 65%. That A lot of that, I mean, they're bringing back almost the offense, the entire offensive line, but they are losing uh, Gary Bohannon, who had most of their attempts, but Blake Shapin's probably a better quarterback. And by probably, I mean, very, very certainly so. Um, 
also their their system is really not about it it's it's about system and scheme and execution it's not about dudes making plays they do lose Tyquan Thornton and Abram Smith who I've affectionately called kind of the lightning uh, lightning bolt and the bowling ball um and and Tristan Ebner who was hurt some was pretty productive for them so they lose kind of a lot of their skill positions they've got some talent there um I think Grant and I talked about Squirrel Williams last year because that's a hilarious name, and and he really didn't find a role, but he'll be featured prominently. And so the the, the drop-off won't be as stark as a um, 65% returning production suggests, but on on defense, they're at 51, and I think that's actually um, overestimating kind of their returning starters because they did bring in Jackson Player, and if you look at their interior defensive line, they have Jackson Player and Siaki Ita, uh, who might be going by a different name, but I I, I don't recall it, um, a nickname. But you can really only play one of those guys at a time, and um, having them fresh is pretty great. But you lose Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, not to mention a couple other kind of secondary guys. I really think that Baylor's defense under Dave Aranda will still be, you know, well-coached and, and interesting, but that um, they are losing some significant star power, maybe, maybe a turnover year there. So they're only at 0.58, and then Kansas State is at 0.57. Um, they, they I, I, again, Kansas State is almost always in this um, in this kind of 0.50, range here. I'm looking at um, the number. Where did I put my Where did I put my Google sheet? Here we go. Um, so I'm looking at Kansas State, uh, 0.79. So 2017, they were a lot. Your point is wrong. 0.77 in 2018, in 19.69, in 20.61, in 21.72. So a lot last year. And then they lose their quarterback this year. So this is actually a little bit lower for Kansas State than they've normally been. But they are kind of in that, that normal range. I would classify... Kansas State, especially under Kleiman, as very much a development-minded program. And so their their key there is balance, right? They're 0.59 on offense, 0.55 on defense. Um, they bring back Deuce Vaughn, who's a really electric um, player on offense, and I'll, drove a lot of their um a lot of their playmaking. I think that uh, you know, as Kleiman, Kleiman's goal is to kind of build the or raise the floor of the program. Bringing in Adrian Martinez definitely adds some some higher volatility, which increases your ceiling, but also increases or decreases your floor. But they kind of are even keel. Um, I'm looking right now. I'm at 25 minutes. I did not think I was going to go this long, but I am just rambling. So. Uh, if you're still listening, shout out. Um, so the last three are, are pretty interesting here. If we go to kind of, so tier two, I'm calling Baylor, Kansas State, West Virginia is at 0.56. Uh, they're 0.48 on offense, but they lose Daigie and they lose Winston Wright, their best receiver. But Winston Wright dropped the ball a ton. And so again, this number is a little bit, you know, I can talk myself in and out of this, Um because I think West Virginia has a clear vision of what they want to be. Will JT Daniels, the quarterback they brought in, who didn't have a lot of um, production last year, if I look at JT Daniels in 2021, he only had, um, I want to say like 100. Yeah, 94. So he only had 94 attempts last year. They were all in garbage time. And so Daigie was all of their you know passing attempts, even though they had Green come in and run a little bit. Um, and so there is a little bit of a, a misleading stat there as well, because you bring in a guy who didn't really play a ton last year, 
but who is an obvious upgrade from Daigie. And they, they have a lot of guys at wide receiver who can fill in, who might not drop the ball as much. They also lose Letty Brown. They're going to replace him with, um, I believe, TJ Smith. Um, that is not his name. TJ Smith, somebody entirely different. Um, but they, 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 they have um, running backs there as well. So that West, West Virginia is, is kind of rounding out that tier three. And then in tier four, you have Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Oklahoma State, um, 69% on offense that they're returning, only 37% on defense. They had some losses. Uh, Oklahoma State draft picks in 2021 uh, is going to be like some dudes. Um, they had, well, uh, I suppose I want the 2022 draft because Tevin Jenkins played last year. So losing Malcolm Rodriguez really kills, um, and they lost Devin Harper and they lost Christian Holmes. Um, I mean, just, just some real, real dudes on defense are really involved, but they were going to bring back five guys who had, um, 20 pressures, I think, last year. Four of those five guys, one of them was Malcolm Rodriguez. He's gone. And then um, they had a lineman who got hurt as well. So again, injury is something to focus on here. But uh, the the defense is definitely hurt. Offense, they they, they lose receiver uh, Tay Martin. Iowa State, is, it might, might fall off a cliff a little bit here. And it's just inevitable with a guy like Matt Campbell, who is in that kind of Pat Fitzgerald school of when things go well, you can be annoying and then once every four years, like compete for the title. Uh, but Iowa State kind of has fallen off. They're at 40% returning production overall, 37 on offense. Obviously, they lose Brees Hall. They lose Tyreek Milton. They lose Brock Purdy. Um, some of you who are familiar with my work could argue that uh, losing Brock Purdy is, you know, maybe a potential way to upgrade. But um, Iowa State has been good historically when they've had good returning production. Um, I, for instance, I look at their like 2017 year where they kind of were really annoying. They had 0.86 returning production, 65 on offense, 75th, uh, 75 on defense. Um, and then you look again, 2020, when they went to the uh, Big 12 championship game, they had 0.67. So really good, um, really good there. 2021, they stepped back a little bit um, and they were they were at 0.88. So a little weird there last year from Iowa State, but they kind of play live and die ball and they don't have a special teams coach. So I don't, I don't really know what you're asking for <laughs> there. Okay, so that's a, a long and rambling kind of survey of the Big 12 in terms of returning production. Um, and what I want to do now is just talk a little bit about this dumb little toy model I made. So when I say a toy model, for those of you um, who may not know, uh, I'm not like making toys. I'm not playing with Barbies. Um, a toy model is is something I refer to as an economist, just to say like, hey, I should probably put a pen, uh, put a pencil on paper, and write down some relationships mathematically. And just for the sake of understanding things better, let's just like put some formal structure on this. But I'm not claiming this is causal. I'm not claiming this is like definitive. It's just saying, hey. If I have an idea in my head that returning production should affect the quality of your team next year, I'm going to run a little model and I'm going to let's see what that model says about um, about production next year. So all I did was I went through from 2017 to 2021 and I took uh, total EPA per play per game. So total EPA per game 
in Big 12 conference play. I did that because that, that helps you with opponent adjustments. Um, basically, everyone's playing the same teams and the opponent adjustments are constant. And so I can kind of filter those out. It's not a problem. I know that Kansas plays a harder schedule than Oklahoma in the Big 12 because Kansas has to play Oklahoma and Oklahoma doesn't have to play Kansas, right? But um, generally on average, these are these are better ways to compare. And so all I did there was I just took your um, win percentage in conference play this year is a function of your win your 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 quality last year and your offensive and defensive production, right? And so by quality, I'm not saying wins and losses because those are random, right? There are very narrow margins. There's a lot of close games. So what I'm doing is saying, let's predict your win probability this year or your win percentage in Big 12 play this year based on your returning offensive production, your returning defensive production, and your EPA per per game last year. So if I do that in a little model, um, what I get is I get um, uh, some, some pretty positive results. So um, offense is um, slightly, just slightly significant, not at the level that I think I would like publish in an academic paper. Although if you remember your uh, AP stats class in high school, 1.6 gives you a 10% uh, significance level. It's, uh, it's 1.69, so it is significant. Um, but generally, I, I kind of throw that out. It's not 5%. I am interested in defense is significant at the uh, 5% level and the 1% level. Um, and your EPA per game last year is significant at the um, 5% and the 1% level. So um, an, an, uh, a, a one percentage point increase in defensive returning production is associated with a tenth of a win increase next year. One percentage point increase in defense is associated with a tenth of a percentage point increase next year. And um, uh, the uh, quality variable, the, the association doesn't matter, just controlling for quality, but your, your quality is associated, you know, your, your EPA last year is, is pretty positively a going to affect what you did this year. So, of course, the next question is, all right, I've got some significant variables. Let's go ahead and predict it. And so if I look at my data, um, you can hear me clicking away again. Here's what, uh, here's what this model says should happen this year based on returning production and your, your quality last year. So Oklahoma returning 64% of their production, 57% of offense, 80, 82% of defense, was on average 3.28 expected points per game better than their opponents, which is um, third best in the Big 12. Uh, it's predicted that they will have a win, uh, a conference win rate of 0.667, which is over the course of nine games, six. So we're predicting Oklahoma to go six and three based on returning production. I'd say this is probably low and we'd skew that higher, but it has Oklahoma at the at the highest. So we care more kind of about the um, ordinality instead of the cardinality. I don't care about the big differences. I just care about what order they're in. The second best team, according to this model, of returning production and quality on this year's quality is Texas. They were 0.645% um, 
excuse me, 0.645 expected points better than their opponent last year, even though they had a really bad record. Um, they are projected to win uh, almost five, 4.86 conference games. They're tied with TCU. So the model equally likes TCU and Texas. Um, one, one reason that is, is that TCU's defense is really bad last year. And so even though TCU's returning production is 82%, whereas Texas is a 68. Um, Texas's defense is 74, while TCU's defense is 82. And TCU's defense is worse than Texas's defense last year. So that's where you kind of get that equality. Um, fourth in the conference is West Virginia. Uh, this model really likes West Virginia. Uh, it predicts it to win about 4.6 games. So kind of flirting with that five and four, which um, again, would be very similar to kind of the structure of the last couple of years where you have Oklahoma at the top and then you have, you know, Texas, TCU, West Virginia as kind of that upper middle class of the Big 12. Right on the edge of the line, the first team with kind of a losing projected record is uh, is Baylor, 0.423, which uh, equates to about 3.8, almost four wins on the season. Um, right behind them, coming in at sixth, is Iowa State at 0.420. And so that's, that's again, about 3.8 wins. Kansas State right behind them. This one shocked me because I thought Kansas State was a little bit higher. And uh, I'll do in a second, I'll add a, um, a team fixed effect in there just to try and control for coaching. But Kansas State is at 0. 0.348. Um, and 348 would be about three conference wins. Three, three and six uh, for Deuce Vaughn's final year would be really disappointing for the Kansas State uh, group, I think. Um, interestingly enough behind them, Kansas is at 0.344, which would be nine wins. Kansas coming in at eight. That would be three conference wins. Um, this is where I start to get skeptical because returning production matters and last year's production matters, but Kansas is returning a lot on defense. There's a vision there. Three and six would be an incredible year for Lance Leipold, especially given that they have two winnable non-con games. That's flirting with a bowl and, and Kansas hasn't flirted with a bowl in a really long time. So that, that would be wild. The model really likes Kansas's defense. Again, 0.89, most in the Big 12 returning production. Um, but they were really bad last year. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that turns out. Obviously, Lance Leipold has a vision. Um, but 0.344, I mean, three, three conference wins for Kansas would be really, really impressive. Um, if you're doing keeping score at home, the, the, this is rounded out by two teams who... I don't think we'll finish this low. Oklahoma State is at 0. 0.330, which equates to about 2.973 wins. And Texas is at 0. 0.300, which equates to about uh, three three wins, you know, 2.7 there. Um, I'm not predicting Oklahoma State and Texas Tech to um, kind of be last in the league here. But it is worth noting that the, the I mean, Oklahoma State, 37% of their defense is returning, which is... Um, lowest in the Big 12 by a huge margin. And Texas Tech, 54% of offense is only ahead of West Virginia and um, and Iowa State. And they didn't get this kind of talent infusion that West Virginia did there as well. So a little bit confusing, um, a little bit misleading, but it might suggest more so uh, than predicting the order of these, these teams, it might suggest that um, uh, a couple takeaways. Um, TCU might not have, uh, TCU is definitely in a year one situation. They're not in a year zero situation. They they should be with what they have returning and based on historical patterns, um, not even factoring in kind of the Sonny Dykes offensive approach, they should be um, 
able to to flirt with six wins, compete for that second spot in the Big 12 championship. West Virginia should be that last team in the upper middle class of the Big 12. As far as the lower middle class, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech might find themselves kind of scrapping in that lower middle class, whereas I think a lot of Oklahoma State people expect to repeat because they have the quarterback continuity in the Big 12 championship. Um, but this this model suggests that because of their losses on defense, perhaps that's not um, in the cards for them. And then Texas Tech, maybe some growing pains, I think is the way that I would phrase that. If I do this one more way really, really quickly, and, and I'll, I'll wrap up here, um, all I'm going to do is I'm going to include a factor variable for the team. Uh, and all that's going to do is um, is just suggest... Why I would keep a factor variable in for the team is I'm just going to um, look at kind of their like inherent capabilities. Uh, it's not a really fun, popular way to say that, but but basically saying like what is it like specific about that team? You could say this is coaching effects. This is probabilities, not probabilities. This is um, facilities. This is history. Um, and all of that. So if I include that team fixed effect there, which I, I'm inclined to do, I get Oklahoma at um, 0.9 web percentage. Texas comes in at second at 0.57. Iowa State at 0.56. Baylor at 0.51. TCU falls to 0.498. They're the first team with a projected losing record. Um, Virgi West Virginia at 0.45. Kansas State at 0.41. Oklahoma State 0.388, which again, red flags, um, Texas Tech 0.288 and Kansas 0.198. So that looks a little bit better, right? That looks a little bit smarter, um, kind of in line with what we think would happen. And it suggests that Iowa State, Baylor, TCU, uh, Texas is kind of that upper middle class, whereas the, the people who are a little bit further away are West Virginia, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and that Kansas might still be um, struggling, although 0.198 wins times a nine-game schedule is, is still almost two conference wins, which would be huge for Kansas. So um, I think this is interesting. I'll, I'll tweet both of these graphs and both of these models just to kind of let you look around at them and see what they are. But generally, I think that returning production is a really good way to um, kind of formalize your thoughts about who has what coming back. And it definitely does translate to on-field production, even though it's not perfect. I'm not using these necessarily to these alone to predict um, the standings of the big 12 this year, but I am, you know, able to reduce the variance in year to year production based on these returning production numbers. And so that's pretty cool. Um, that's pretty cool overall. Cool. Well, this was just me ranting for, I haven't even looked at the time. I told y'all I get started going and I get going. I'm about 45, I'm 42 minutes. Man, I told Grant I was going to be like 20 minutes and out of here, but here I am. If you're still listening to this, you're probably a sociopath like me. If you got any questions about the training production, if you got any wrinkles you think are interesting, hey, I want to look at this. Hey, what about this? I'll probably play around with this data. I've got it in my, um, in my computer. And two things I want to do are um, one, quarterback continuity. I think I just want a dummy variable for are you bringing back a quarterback with starting experience, whether he was at your team or not? And then um, coach and 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 um, head coach and coordinator experience, I think, is really important as well. Uh, and continuity there. I've tweeted out uh, a little graph that kind of looks at the teams that are bringing back 
quarterback, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. And I, I think I can incorporate that in this model pretty easily. So um, other than that, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll play around with this on Twitter a little bit. And uh, if you have questions, just tweet at me, DM me. would love to hear about those. And we can kind of play around with this data as we're looking at the college football season. Um, other than that, uh, I am a little bit in college baseball mode here. So I am looking at the, um, you know, college, gearing up for the College World Series, doing predictions and everything for that. And so look out for those on Twitter. Um, make sure you follow me at StatsOwar on Twitter. And uh, Grant, follow him at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. Next week, we're kicking off our preview series. It is going to look uh, it's going to look crazy. We're just going to start with Kansas. We're going to do deep dives and um, and just really get into uh, kind of focusing on the season and focusing on the things that are happening on the field. We'll watch a little film. We'll talk a little film, talk a little scheme, and, uh, and do all that uh, again this year. So really looking forward to that. And, We'll be back next week. Um, Until then, go Frogs.